You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 264, John Ramstead from Accident to Purpose. Hey friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm so glad that you're here. We have a really great conversation. I think you're going to be quite interested in it. In fact, I know you will. Uh, You found the show. I'm always excited about that. And uh, if you enjoy what you hear today, I believe you will. And you go back in the archives and you listen to other episodes and you enjoy those. Would you do me just one favor? And tell a friend, tell somebody you've been listening to it, tell a family member, send a text and go, hey, you got to hear this story. That's the highest compliment you can give me if you just share it with somebody. And, uh, you know, we always always pray for these episodes that God would help them to find the right people at the right time. And maybe you're part of it. So if you feel that little nudge, just go ahead and make that share. Um, today, our guest, he's a keynote speaker, a trainer, a former combat Navy fighter pilot. That's interesting. Um, a leadership coach and an international podcast host, as well as a best-selling author of a book called On Purpose, With Purpose, Discovering How to Live Your Best Life. Our guest is John Ramstead. John, welcome to Halfway There. Eric, so great to be here. I'm so glad that our friend Sherilyn uh, introduced us. Yes, Sherilyn Decker introduced us, and uh, she's also uh, uh, around Denver, around these parts, right? So that's yes. cool. Uh, she she has a great episode. She was interesting. Her story was was really great. I was glad she shared it with us. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of where you are and where God has you right now. Well, right now I am. Oh my goodness, we're at uh, thirty one years of marriage, Eric, which is absolutely the the hand of God working in our lives, which is awesome. Got three amazing boys, and currently. I get to work with some of the most incredible leaders around the world, both uh, some of my uh, people I get to work with are believers and other ones are just, uh, you know, really principled kind of cause driven leaders that uh, I think God has just put me in their lives to kind of be that kingdom influence and, you know, and pull them toward a relationship. So what I get to do every day, you know, speaking, training, uh, coaching is, uh, man, I love it. I get up every day excited about what see what what God has uh, in store for me for the day. Yeah, I love that. Well, that's really great. So I can't wait to hear more of the story of how you got here and just from what you were sharing a moment ago. I know it's it's pretty interesting. So let's let's get into it. Where are you from? I grew up in Burnsville, Minnesota, a little town in the suburb south of Minneapolis. Okay, so. A Minnesotan. You don't sound like a Minnesotan. I grew up in Iowa, so we used to make fun of you guys. Well, you know, there we had a, you know, when I when I got out <laughs> into the world, there, you know, I had to change my accent. Yeah, I bet you did. That's cool. What was it like? You. Was it a Christian family? Yeah, you know, grew grew up in church. My mom, my uh, Methodist every Sunday, Sunday school, you know, uh, youth group. Just you know, that was part of our life growing up, but. Um, even though I went to church, it was just part of our life. I never understood nor really connected to really understanding who Jesus is and what he did for me. And so as, you know, as I moved off into my life, I was one of those folks kind of like, you know, we struggle with today, those, those kids that kind of walk away from the church once they're, 
you know, out of the house that they grew up in. That was me. Yeah. Why do you think it didn't connect for you? You know what? I, my recollection, now this is a long time ago because I'm 55. Um, <laughs> I don't ever remember having like an explicit, explicit conversation about what it really meant to not only accept Jesus as Lord, but also Savior. And, or if I did at the time when I was younger, it just never, it just never connected in a meaningful way. I think, you know, like with my boys, I have three boys having, you know, them get to a place where it's their own faith and they discover it and kind of be, um, you know, helping them with their own spiritual development. I know that's something you've studied deeply and, but for me, it, I don't know. It just didn't connect. That's a great question. I haven't really thought about why. That'd be something I should really think about. It might help me help others more, Eric. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I'm just curious because I know so you're right. You kind of put your finger there on something. Like we don't often talk about that sort of specific moment or that kind of conversation. Hey, have you actually personally put your faith in Jesus? And so kids can grow up going to go into church and not ever have that own, that, that experience of their own. Um, although I'm also aware that that's kind of an American evangelical, uh, thing, like not all traditions would expect, expect that. But if you're not following the Lord, that's, that's a problem, right? So sounds like that came to you a little bit later in life. It did. Yes, it did. When I was 27. Okay. And how was, how did that happen? Well, I got to tell you, it was an interesting journey because God's always there. He, he wants all of us engaged. You know, he's in relationship with us, even if we're not meeting him halfway, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And here's what happened is after I got out of uh, high school, I went to college on a Navy scholarship, went in the Navy. And uh, this is right after Top Gun came out, Eric. And I was absolutely, I got into flight school and I was able to fly the F-14 Tomcat. That's the jet that was in tomcat or in uh, top gun yeah and i that's got pretty you, cool it was amazing uh time of my life i flew in combat and desert storm and operation southern watch and here's what happened was- is um i get called down to our commanding officer's stateroom which is typically not a good thing uh, so i'm walking <laughs> it's like getting sent to the principal's office i'm walking down there like okay what i do wrong what i mess up like I'm already trying to figure out what, how I'm going to spin this before I even get to his office. And he sits me down, Eric, and he, and he tells me, um, Hey John, well, my call sign was Rammer. Nobody uses first names in the, in a squadron, but he said, Hey Rammer, uh, you're going to Top Gun. You're the guy. And dude, like I literally, like my heart leapt in my chest. This has been like a dream of mine for years and uh that in the next weekend eric i was playing softball with some friends squadron team and i hear look out and a line drive drilled me in the right eye and uh blew out the back of my eye socket and i had nerve damage and i had some double vision and i lost my medical and less than a year later i found myself out of the navy and knocking on doors Uh, i got a job as sales hoping somebody was home to try to sell them a cell phone And the sounds of my dreams were flying over my head back into Miramar. And I got to tell you, when your identity is completely external, my identity was completely rooted in who I was, what I did, right? A fighter pilot, a naval officer, and it was gone. 
I think honestly, for me, that was one of the hardest things I went through when a dream is just completely ripped away. And I'll never forget, this was the first time God showed me the power of having our living our faith out in the world that we live in right now. We don't have to go on a mission trip to another country because I was in a Barnes and Noble and I was staring at the books in the business section because I'm like, okay, I got to, I don't know anything about business. I've been in the Navy. Um, I have an engineering degree that I don't know how to use. And a guy came up to me and said, hey, what are you looking for? I'm like, I honestly don't know. And we just started talking. And this guy, his name's Jeff Saavedra. He's a friend of mine to this day. This is 30, almost 30 years later. Um, just started mentoring me, Eric, and figuring out what I'm good at and what I should do next and finding a sense of purpose. And in that, there was something special about this guy. And in, in, he and his wife led me to the Lord, shared with me about Jesus, um, prayed with me and my wife. It changed our life. And think about that. One guy took an interest in me and mm -hmm. served me. And he was busy. He was actually running a school district in San Diego. Super busy guy. And, and I'll never forget, though, I was, uh, yeah, you know, growing up Methodist, I was very conservative. And I'm sitting there in this, uh, what he did is he brought me to a service where he knew they were going to present the gospel, because he'd been sharing with me about his faith. And I'm sitting there and the pastors, you know, has an invitation to come forward. And I'm sweating profusely. My hands are sweating. My, and I, like, I knew I had to go forward. And I start to stand up to go forward. And my wife, who's sitting next to me, grabs my arm and yanks me back in the seat and says, don't you embarrass me. Oh, wow. And it, seriously, this is in a church service. And you know what? As a, uh, as a good, strong man, I looked at my wife and I said, okay. And I sat there. <laughs> And then the pastor goes, okay, you know what? God's telling me there's one more person. There's one more person. We'll, we'll, we'll wait. And I knew it was me. And nobody else got up. And I'm sweating more. The next thing I knew, I'm up and I'm, I'm, I'm up in front. And he's praying. And as I'm praying this prayer to accept Christ as my Savior, I just felt myself being filled from my feet up. It was like cool clear water was replacing hot coffee. And as it flowed up, I just started weeping uncontrollably. And, and, and Eric, all of a sudden, I, I felt my friend, I thought it was my friend Jeff, uh, come up from behind me and put his hand on my shoulder and give me like a firm squeeze. And, and in that moment, it was just so comforting. And I, and I reached up with my left hand to put it on his hand, which was on my right shoulder. And when I put my hand on my right shoulder, there was no other hand there. Oh, wow. It was the hand of God just holding me. And I could still feel the hand there. I, I, I have goosebumps telling you this story, think, reliving that. And I knew in that moment that my life had just changed. And uh, my wife did not go forward that day, by the way. Um, this whole thing uh, mortified her, And by the way. And you know what? We had, I had just gotten out of the Navy. All of our friends were in the Navy. And you know what? That was a work hard, play hard um, environment, as you can imagine. And I'll never forget once Donna went out with, I just had no interest in going out and going to the club or going to the bar uh, anymore. And that's where all of our friends were. And Donna's like, well, I'm going. I'm like, okay, go ahead. And I remember it was like midnight 
and she wasn't home yet. And I called my friend, Jeff, he answered the phone and I'm like, and I was ticked, dude. I'm like, okay, she's doing this. And man, she's got to accept Jesus. And like, like I'm wound up and Jeff gave me some amazing advice. He said, John, God has loved you unconditionally for 27 years. What if you just work on yourself, you change, you grow, and you love your wife unconditionally, and you let God work on her heart? And I got to tell you, Eric, that was some powerful wow. advice. So I let go of this agenda that I had to proselytize my wife and just work on myself and love her. And in doing that, it created something so attractive that a year later, and this we, we were now attending John Maxwell's church. This is before he started everything he's doing now. At a service that he did, she accepted the Lord. And then um, John Maxwell was one of the, was the baptized my wife. And I got to tell you, that was that was the start of I, it's the reason we've been married this long and have such amazing relationships with our with our boys. Wow. Well, that is really an incredible story. So I love so much of what you, you said there. Uh, first of all, that you still went forward and felt like you had to go forward, uh, even though you knew your wife didn't really want you to, and that you were patient. That was great advice. We all need good mentors like that in our lives, don't we? That uh, can help us help us see and be patient with other people. Don't we though? And I, and you know, that's part of, you know, folks out there listening, if you've had that mentor in your life, that person you can call, that became the person I wanted to be, Eric. He, you know, what Jeff did to me is model how to live in the world, be an ambassador for Christ, disciple people. Uh, and this is before he even ever even pulled out a Bible, by the way. And I said, wow. you know what, I need to be that kind of person for others. Because there's a lot of us probably listening, like, I don't have somebody that I can call at midnight. And you know what, intentionally finding, if you don't have it, intentionally finding some of those close friends that you know you could call at midnight or three in the morning, or, you know, go and share with people that you let into your life that you just develop that trust with, that are believers. Man, I, 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 I don't think you can get through what we have to do living in this world and this life without those kind of relationships in addition to our relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Amazing. And I think that's the example of scripture as well. We see that all over with, with uh, you know, the classic example of example is Paul and Timothy, but certainly we, we need those things. Um, well, very interesting. And so you went from being a guy who really lost kind of your whole identity, your whole identity was in, was in your, your role. I mean, and by the way, we, sh I shouldn't just skip over. Like you were in top gun. That's kind of cool. Like that's, that's pretty amazing. I never got to attend because, uh, yeah, the accident. So I, 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 I went there and I was trying to get better. They were trying to heal my eye. The doctors were meeting with me and I got to do some ground instructing, but I never got to fly and I never graduated from the program. And I got to tell you, man, that, that was, that was that was tough pill to swallow at the time. Yeah, I I can imagine. But that kind of that was your identity, and so you kind of shifted your identity, or God did maybe away from away from that. Um, very fascinating. Okay, so after after you you, know, you get into you're going to John Maxwell's church, and you're you know being discipled. How did that? How did your life start to change? And how did how did you kind of start to 
I call it finding um, you know, yourself in Christ. How did you start to sort of learn the way of Jesus, if you will? Well, you know, we, we went to all the kind of the new believer courses. I was totally on fire, reading my Bible, hanging out with just some amazing men and women. And uh, what happened was, though, Eric, I think, you know, I was one of those people like I, I wasn't completely rooted. What I moved back to Minnesota shortly after this to get into business with a good friend of mine. And I kind of lost that community that I had in San Diego. And we were we found a church that we liked and we'd go to, but we weren't really involved because I was so busy, right? A lot of us, we get busy being busy. And, and honestly, as an entrepreneur coming out of the Navy and having this amazing conversion experience, I'm like, okay, you know, he, God's going to make the path straight for me. He's going to show me the way. And I got into business and I got to tell you, we struggled. And I, you know, I'd make a plan and I'd pray. And I'm like, Lord, bless this plan. And if it worked out great, I mean, you know, I'd give them credit. I'd be like, thank you. And if it didn't work out, we didn't hit our numbers. We didn't grow. We couldn't hire people. I'm like, okay, I, John, has to work harder. And I, and I started adopting this mantra. And I would tell people, it's kind of my brand almost, is that, you know what? I'm not the sharpest tool in the ship, but I'll outwork everybody around me. And that became what, and so slowly over time, when when I wasn't doing this for in partnership with the Lord, I was doing this to build my business, my reputation, my income, right? A lot of those old mindsets that kind of drove me in the Navy were coming back in slowly. And I would just say, you know, it's like uh, when you take off, if you're on an airplane and you take off from New York City and you're just a couple degrees off and I'm flying to Hawaii, I'm going to end up thousands of miles and uh, north of Hawaii and maybe run out of gas. And that's what happened. I just slowly drifted away from true north in my career. I was still going to church, but I ended up after a long career of, you know, in, as an entrepreneur and in business, and this is now 2011, Eric, looking back on it now. So it's 10 years ago now. I was in a place that I would describe as smoldering discontent. I had fallen into what I call the tyranny of they. I had let my identity drift back externally. And I was constantly trying to meet the expectations that others have. How do they define success? How do they think I should show up? How did they, what boards do they think I should be on? What are all these things that are going to, you know, help me with my business, my income? And, but so nothing, as you can hear in all that, Nothing was intentional. Nothing was on purpose. Nothing was in partnership with the father. And I didn't know how to fix it. I mean, if you looked at me externally at the time, like my title, you know, my house, just all that stuff, you'd be like, wow, Ramstead's doing great, right? You know, married to this beautiful woman, three kids. And I was absolutely miserable. And I had brought that bad attitude into my house. And there was times, you know, I'd rather work late and not come home because I'd created a negative environment. I'm sure there was times where my wife was like, you know, I'm glad John's working late because I know it's the end of the quarter. I was working for a public company and I know he's just going to come home, you know, grumpy to put it politely. And uh, so, you know what, that, that when you're not in relationship with the Lord and you're not in relationship with people that can help correct you and nudge you back on the you know, toward true north, you can drift off into a place slowly. I love that casting crown song, right? 
called a slow fade. You know, a man doesn't fail in a day. And I, and I was, I had let myself be the victim of a slow fade because I really had not connected to not who I was, but who Christ made me to be, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I actually think that's a essential part of discipleship, right? Is, is uh, who we decide that we're going to be or who we become, right? So it uh, sounds like you had kind of adopted some, some success metrics that were probably from, I, I can imagine, tell me if this is true or not, but both that sort of Midwest Protestant work ethic, right? <laughs> that, that we both grew up in and probably. Oh yeah. I was all in on the work ethic. hundred percent. Right. And then, and then what you, I mean, just being a hard charger in the Navy, I'm sure that, that those things kind of shaped you. So where does that all come to a head and what, what happened? Well, in 2011, um, I, I, I figured, okay, everything's missing. Like I'd started a couple nonprofits. I was on a couple boards and I'm like, I'm going to leave this big public company. I'm going to go start my own company with some friends. Maybe that's going to like get everything back on track and I'm going to build something. And so the spring of 2011, I did that. I made that this big decision and we're, I'm five months into starting a company. So here in Colorado, Eric, if you're familiar with the Colorado faith and freedom coalition, I, I, I started yeah. that uh, with the help of Ralph Reed, if anybody knows that name, from the Christian Coalition. And through that, I got uh, one of the guys I got to know was on the board of Family Talk, which was Dr. James Dobson's new ministry after he left Focus. And they were doing a retreat up in Montana for some board members and some other people, just a small group, like 14, 15 people. And I got invited by my friend who was on the board. And I'm like, wow, this would be cool. I get to meet Dr. Dobson and all these amazing people. And in September um, of 2011, I flew up to Great Falls, Montana from here in Denver to this ranch that somebody had donated to have a retreat. On a Thursday, Friday, we're going to be riding horses to the back of this property to go have lunch and get to know each other a little bit more. I was really looking forward to it. I'm not a horse guy at all. I've done trail rides. I don't know if you're a horse person, Eric, but I just think riding a horse and, you know, the mountains would be pretty cool. And I'm the first one saddled, and this is this changed everything for me. Um, all of a sudden, my horse just bolts, and he takes off. And I'm laying flat on my back, and his rump is pounding me in the shoulder blades, and I'm scared to death I'm going to flip off the back of this horse and get kicked in the head and get killed. So I did the one thing I, I thought to do in the moment, and that was to squeeze with my legs as hard as I possibly could. What I didn't know at the time, because I did not read the user's manual, is I was telling that horse to to go faster. And he Mm -hmm. responded. That guy found another gear. That guy lit the afterburner, so to speak. He was well-trained. He he was a very (laughs) highly trained horse. He wasn't supposed to be in this lineup for a trail ride, by the way. Um, But I get my weight back. I finally get back up on the horse. I'm in the saddle, and we're at a full, flat-out gallop, which... I was not comfortable with. And I, I mean, I've flown supersonic, you know, when you're, when you're going this fast, this low to the ground, like I was not, I did not like this. And I look ahead of me and we're heading straight at a steel corral fence. that was about 50 yards in front of us. And I try to get in and all I had to do is get the horse to turn and we wouldn't hit the fence. And I grabbed the rein and he wouldn't turn. And I pulled harder and he still wouldn't turn. And he goes, and then he accelerates. I'm like, no, And all of a sudden I just, my head just starts spinning out of control. Like I totally panicked. 
Like, I mean, I gotta jump with this horse. If I don't have this horse, I'm gonna break my neck. If I break my neck, I'm gonna die. I don't wanna die. Like, Eric, you know, I, I've been, you know, I've flown in combat. Right. Um, I've, I've raised three teenagers. Um, nothing prepared me for this, that moment. And I'll remember, I'll never forget about 20 yards in front of the fence. Must have been like from some massive adrenaline rush, but just time totally slowed down. And I remember thinking very clearly, this is not going to end well. And that's the last thing I remember. Uh, the horse came into the fence at a full gallop and he bucked so hard. He flipped over, landed on his side, slammed into the fence rump first. And when he did that, he launched me Superman into the steel fence. And um, it crushed the entire left side of my skull. I broke every bone in my skull except for my jaw and my right cheekbone. I lost eight teeth. I broke my neck, uh, shattered my shoulder. Everything got destroyed on my right shoulder. And then the next bar down um, crushed my rib cage and some of the broken ribs uh, punctured my left lung. And we found out later from multiple doctors um, that what happened to me was not survivable. Um, the woman who was there, the paramedic that was there did not think I would even survive because she's been up there for 30 years, seen a lot of injuries up in Montana until life flight, the helicopter got there. It took about an hour. But what happened is I woke up on the ground into more pain than I could ever describe to anybody. I mean, I didn't even know how bad it was. Uh, it was, it was, you, you know, that saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not true. Okay. This is how you know, right? You know, I looked it up in scripture. You know, he won't give you more than he can handle. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but I got to tell you, um, I the, the pain, the panic, the fear that was happening in that moment, people were holding me down. Thank goodness. Um, and I was just trying to get away from this pain. And all of a sudden, one of the guys was watching who was right next to me. All of a sudden, he just saw me relax so completely. He said, John, it looked like you were sinking into the ground. He thought he just watched me pass away. Wow. But Eric, it was in that moment I was standing in God's presence. I, well, I was laying down. God was standing next to me, and I was in his presence. And what was emanating from him, these, it was in waves. It had a physical weight to it like uh, being at the edge of the beach and the waves are washing over, like the ocean is washing over you. It was unconditional love. It was just emanating and flowing and it was powerful. It was full of joy and, and, and life and peace. And I remember as soon as I felt it, as soon as it touched me, this force from, from God, my first thought, was I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this. Because I had never experienced unconditional love. I mean, we don't get it from people. And in that moment, I knew without a doubt, Eric, that anything and everything I had ever done, good, bad, otherwise not even relevant, Truly, in that moment, the only thing that mattered to the Lord was how much he loved me. And this was personal. This was between Father God and John. And, and, to, and to reflect back on it and know that the God of the universe actually cared about me as a person. 
Eric, I had never connected that as I read scripture and did Bible mm-hmm. studies. And I, I just never connected that relationship. And the one thing I knew standing there in his presence was he was already in this amazing relationship with me that he wanted me to join him in. And then as I felt this washing over me, instantly that pain, the panic, and the fear was completely gone. Completely. That's what that my friend watched when he saw me relax. And then he spoke to me. It was a voice that came from everywhere and nowhere, and it was not to my ears. It was like a, a consciousness flowing through me. And the first thing God said to me was, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And at the time, Eric, I could not have told you that that came from Romans. And then he said, the Lord, then he said, John, use my name. He said, John, I'm going to heal you and use this for my glory. And then he said, and he said it, he, and he said this with, uh, with uh, almost a joy, not, this was not like a rebuke, like I've read it, you'll, in scripture. And he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And as soon as he said that, I knew my left eye was totally and permanently blind which the doctors didn't determine until almost six months later, but all the bones behind the eye socket had completely shattered and severed the optic nerve. So my left eye is disconnected from my brain. There's, it doesn't work. Um, And then he left and I opened my eyes and I look up at the paramedic (laughs) kneeling next to me. And I looked at her and I said, God, sir, you don't have to worry. It's going to be okay. And she's like, uh, yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, And you know what? That started a very long journey. And you know what? For the next hour until Lifelike came, Eric, I sat there talking with them and conversing. And and at the time, they thought I was actually doing pretty good. Uh, We found out later that the brain damage was so severe. There was almost a third of my brain that had no blood flow. I mean, like, this is like brain dead territory. Like, you shouldn't survive. My pituitary gland was damaged. The I, I could go through the whole list. I ended up the next five weeks in ICU, um, then 20 months at Craig Hospital with a severe traumatic brain injury, had 23 surgeries. They had to take my skull off twice. I had a couple craniotomies. But in that, God was with me every step of the way. Now, he did not heal me the way I was expecting. I'll be honest with you. And there were some times in this recovery, I know you... Uh, you know, you wrote an article on your website, which is really good about, hey, when you're mad at God. Yeah. And I got to tell you, when you're going through such a hard time, the juxtaposition of feeling that unconditional love and God telling me he's going to heal me, but the journey to be healed was so difficult, so painful. So, I mean, my, my front left lobe of my brain was completely damaged. And that's where you have all your emotional control, rational thought, executive mm-hmm. functions. I was not the person that my family remembered at all for a, for a very long time. I was in constant pain. I was constantly recovering from yet another surgery. I couldn't work. I had to learn how to walk again, think, wow. talk again. I was in speech therapy for a year and a half. And, but how do you admit you're mad at God? when it's God who saved you and I should be dead and I don't even, you know, I shouldn't even be have an opportunity to be a father and a husband and out in the world 
but that God saved me in that moment. And that anger toward God started being directed at people in my life. Well, I'm, I'm really interested in this whole, um, and we'll come back to that. I'm interested in this whole juxtaposition that you mentioned, like having experienced the love of God and, and God's presence itself. I mean, it's, that's fascinating. Um, I, and then to come, to come, I guess, would you say come back? Is that the right? What would you Sure. Yeah. That? And have to go through the physical healing is and then to be upset about it like how that's just such a there's they seem like really opposites and yet i think it's a really good picture of what the human experience is in relationship with god all the time right we we know god is capable of getting rid of all of the pain and sor- and suffering and yet he often uh well he's promised to heal he's promised to you know, my favorite line in the entire Bibles at the end of Revelation where he says, I'm making all things new, right? Um, we have that promise and yet we still go through all of the all of the growing pains and all the all the struggle to get there. Um it just seems to me, even though they seem odd, they see it seems like a perfect picture of exactly what we all go through. It's just in in a kind of microcosm. Yeah, you know I'll, I was struggling with this, and I'll never forget. I was I was listening to uh, Henry Blackaby. Um, I couldn't read, so I started listening to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks. But it was Henry Blackaby talking about spiritual strongholds, Eric. And one of the things he talked about is anger toward God. And what became like I was like, okay, that's me. And what what Henry said was, you know, God already knows. Why don't you just go tell him? And I got on my knees and I started praying. I'm like, like, Lord, I, you know, I thank you. I'm so grateful that I'm here and I don't, this is how I'm feeling. And I don't know how to not feel this way and help me to understand. And, and in that, I got to tell you, just having that conversation in prayer was a starting point of an amazing emotional, spiritual healing for me. And I'll never forget after I really understood, and then God kind of showed me how this was affecting other things in my life. I'll never forget going to my one son and just saying, you know, and apologizing to him. I said, I've been mad. I've been angry. That's how I've been showing up in the world. And, and uh, I'll never forget as I apologize, I just broke down with him and sitting next to his bed, just weeping. And we hugged and cried and, and, you know, just admitting that Eric was the start of healing for our entire family. And what I would tell you that today, the rest, the complete restoration of relationships, my wife and I, our marriage has never been better after 31 years. My relationship with each one of my boys is what I'd always hoped it would be. And as I look back in this very long journey, every step of the way, God was faithful Hmm. to our healing to our finances, to our relationships, to providing us what we needed. Like I, you know, I couldn't work. I know I just started a new company. So there's, there's no income. There's nothing to depend on. I'll never forget once. Like we were, we are out of money. Every credit card's maxed Eric. And like, okay, like, like we, we, how do we buy groceries? And my, and you know, and I didn't want to go ask friends for help 
right? I used to be the guy that would give to charities, right? Um, I got to tell you, that was an interesting place for me to be. So Don and I are like, well, you know what? God's been faithful in everything so far. The doctors that we had, I mean, just everything was amazing. And we sat there and prayed like, Lord, Lord, we just trust you for our finances. I don't know how it's going to happen, but you know what? This is, this is what we need. And my wife comes back and from the mailbox and she goes, Hey, you got a check from your old employer from two years ago. It's when I left this co- or three years ago, I'd left that company. And there's a letter in there saying, Hey, John, when you left, we calculated your severance package incorrectly. And there was a big check in there, a five figure wow. check. And it was what we needed to basically, you know, get through the next two months, three months. And then guess what happened three months later when that ran out, we go to the mailbox it was another check from the same company going, oh, by the way, yeah. Uh, and we miscalculated this part of your comp plan also. And here's another smaller check. And that got us to the next couple months. And that got us to a point where we, we, we could start moving forward again slowly. But I got to tell you, looking back on it now, what, there's a reason that God said to me, all things work together for good. And I got to tell you, Eric, that is what gave me the hope to keep moving forward. Because, I mean, there was times, you know, I'd be recovering from a, a, another major surgery and, and I'd be in the ICU and they'd give me a shot of whatever it was, morphine or Dilaudid, and it only last a couple hours, maybe two and a half hours. And they couldn't give you any more. That's how bad the damage was and the pain was. So I had to get through the next hour and a half with, it it was excruciating. And I just look at the clock and I'd be like, okay, Lord, just help me get through five minutes. Wow. And I, and I, and I held on to that verse and I said, all, if all things do work together for good, maybe tomorrow might be better than today. Maybe next week will be better than this week. And sometimes next week was not better. I said, you know what? I'm going to trust God and maybe next month will be better than this month. And you know what? Next year has got to be better than this year. And in that, we just started trusting the Lord to take just small little steps forward each day, just trusting him on where to put our feet, what to do. And one of the things I saw when I was at Craig Hospital, there's people in there that were not as damaged as badly as I was, but they did not have hope. And I watched them spiral down into such a dark place. It scared me. And in that, God, I got to tell you, knowing that God, how much God loves each one of us, I'm not special. And that's clear in scripture. God loves everybody out there listening. I don't care what you've done in the past. The God of the universe loves you individually, knows you, everything that's in your life, happening in your life, even though it might not make sense to you, is working together for his good. But in a way, you're going to be at a place where you're going to be like, wow, I see how that prepared me. Like, Eric, without going through what I've done, there's no way that I could be doing what I'm doing today. And I can't imagine not doing what I get to do today. It's amazing. And if the accident hadn't happened, I'd be running a company. I don't even know if I'd still be married. 
Um, and I'd probably be just as miserable as I was 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. So break that down for us. What are the, what would you say are the, the pieces of your identity that God used that accident to take away? And what are the what he replaced them with? When, when we look in the mirror, think about our identity the formed our self-identity and what it is, Eric, it's what we believe to be true about ourselves. And it's formed throughout our whole life. It's formed from all of our own experiences, things that we've done well, where we've failed, where we've embarrassed ourselves, where we've, you know, you know, uh, gotten the award. It comes from what people have said to us. Like, I'll never forget when I was in middle school, um, I was in a public speech class. I literally threw up before the class. I was so nervous. I was so shy. And I remember my teacher telling me, man, I, you know, at the end of my presentation, he's like, John, I hope you choose a career where you don't have to like be a public speaker. <laughs> right. But you know what? We let that stuff in. And the other thing that also gets formed, and I think it's even heightened in today's world with social media is what we think other people think about us. Mm-hmm. Like what if you're around, you know, uh, like I was not the popular kid in school. Right. And that, you know, you walk up to the popular kids and they just, you know, walk away. Maybe they had to get to class, but here, that's not the story I told myself. Right. So all this stuff happens in our life and we let it in. And I'll never forget, I was sitting down with, I was working with a coach as I'm coming out of this to try to kind of figure out what's next because I was so limited with what I could do. I only could work a few hours a week. This is two years after my accident. I could work eight or 10 hours a week. So I couldn't go back to a traditional job. And I said to him, you know what, buddy, I got to figure out how I'm wired and then I can figure out what I should do next. And he asked me a question that honestly changed everything for me, Eric. And he said, well, what if you ask yourself that a little bit differently? What if you ask yourself how God wired you and what did he wire you for? And that, and here's what I realized is there's that person you see in the mirror with all of our limiting beliefs, our understanding of our values, our passions, our strengths, our skills, our gifting. And then we also have, what does God see when he looks at us? And I think the bigger that gap is between our real self and our ideal self, the more stress and anxiety and frustration and discontent we feel. And what I, that started a process for me, Eric, of just being abiding in the Lord and, and looking through his lens at what he sees when he looks at John. And what are those limiting beliefs? Why do I have such a problem? Why do I have such big anger issues? Why do I get frustrated and angry so quickly? Where does that come from? What is the root of that? And as I started looking at all these things that were not serving me well, um, all of a sudden I started closing that gap. One of the things that I, I write about in my book, because I think it's, it's, I got a whole chapter on just how do you connect to your, your core values? I believe that there's values that God sowed into us that are immutable. But most of us are living in the world, I know I was, from a place of the values we think we should have or that sound good. Because, yep. right? And, yeah. And then, you know what, think about this. I tell you, hey, you know what? My number one value is family because that sure sounds good, but I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm on a plane three or four days a week and I've been doing it for 15 years. 
So if, if family really is a core value, but I'm living my life completely out of alignment of honoring that value, you can see how that brings stress and anxiety into your life. And when I understood clearly that, you know what, that is a value. And I have to work as I, as I come out of this accident and recover and build another business, which I've done, that has to be honored. That has to be priority. And getting in touch with my core values my passions? What are those things that just bring you alive? Those moments that they just light you up. Like, you know, God said, I came, you know, John 10, 10, I came to give you life. And that's so you may live it to the full. How many of us right now feel like, Hey, on that scale, like a 10 out of 10 is like, man, I am living life fully alive. I can't wait. To, I don't even want to go to bed because I can't wait to get up in the morning. That'd be a 10. I want to be like, you know what? I'm barely hanging on. I think before the accident, if I'm being honest, I was somewhere between a two and a three on that scale, Eric. And you know what? God has a plan to move you toward that full life, that 10 out of 10. And that's what I, that was my journey is to start figure out what does that look like to understand who God made me to be? What are those good works that he had planned? And guess what? He doesn't want to hide that plan from me. And I, for me, Eric, I think this whole notion of calling and purpose, I was always looking for it. And I felt like I never really connected to it after the Navy. I felt like I was pretty on point in the Navy. That, that had been a dream since I was a kid. And part of my frustration was I, I, I didn't know what it was. And I was searching for it. I felt like either I wasn't worthy of knowing what it was, or I wasn't equipped, or I didn't have the right, you know, I couldn't unearth it because I didn't have the right tools. And here's what I found for me is I was going about it backwards. As I understood, I, I had two things that were my quest. A, I read the, I've read now the Bible cover to cover multiple times. I wanted to know who Father God is, who Jesus is, who, what is Holy Spirit in his role in my life. I wanted to get to know them because how do you have a deep relationship with somebody you don't know? And the second thing was not who I was, but who did God make me to be? And as I answered those questions, which are all around identity, as, as, that, as I started to close that gap ever so slowly and close that gap and close that gap, all of a sudden, the purpose, the calling, the what to do next was crystal clear. And what I realized for me in my life, I've been going about it backwards because I was trying to figure out what to do, and then I'll figure out who to be to get there. And that's not, and I don't believe that that's how God intended things to be. And that has been huge for me personally, Eric. Yeah, that's really fascinating because I, I think that is how a lot of us go about it. You know, we, we decide what should we do or what do we want to do? And then we figure out who we have to become. So how does it work to do it the other way? Well, you know, as, as I, I got to tell you, the big part for me was I started working in my core values. Then I started taking the inventory of, hey, what are those things that I actually naturally do really well? What are those things God's given me that ability to do, right? Like, I love listening to people and hearing people's stories. I love gathering people together and connecting people. If you put me on a desert island for two years and I came back and met you and Cher Lynn and I thought you had a connection, I'd say, hey, I only know two people, but you guys should know each other, Right. Um, I started looking at those passions. What are those things that just bring me alive? And as I started 
to kind of pull those pieces together, I said, okay, how do I work more in my passions, those things that God put in my heart? How do I do that? And the only way to do that well is to understand who you be. And I think those are your core beliefs, your core values. And then how to do that. I started looking at my, my things that I've learned, my talents, my spiritual gifting, and where all those come together is a place that I call convergence. When those start to convergence, man, there is some power there because all of a sudden that next step forward is just, is, is clear. And that's my prayer every day, Eric, is, is not, hey, what do I do, you know, three and five and 10 years, but like, Lord, what is that next step you want me to take today, Tuesday? What do you want me to do? What is the one thing that I should be working on today? And then tomorrow, that's going to be my prayer tomorrow, Eric. And then this series of little small steps over time, as I started working on myself and my faith and repairing relationships and, and making better decisions and and, and we, it's kind of developed into a, a saying around here with my family. And that is excellence is the standard in our relationships, our words, our thoughts, but grace is the word, because you know what, we're going to have a bad day. We're going to fall into bad habits or old habits. We're going to make a mistake, but guess what? I'm going to look at it from this perspective, not like, Hey, that anger issue defines me. That's kind of who I am. I'm going to say, okay, in that situation that didn't go well, is there anything I did good? And what did I learn from that? So next time that same situation comes up, maybe I can do it a little bit better. And in just all of these little small steps, I honestly think a lot of us, we completely overestimate what we can do in a year, but we underestimate what we can do in seven or 10 years. Because my 10 year anniversary for my accident, Eric, was uh, a week ago. And I got to tell you where I've come in 10 years is beyond anything I could have ever honestly hoped for or dreamed for uh, 10 years ago when I was laying in a hospital bed recovering. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that, um, that idea that there's, there's way more that we can do. Like we have to have enough vision, uh, but we also have to hold ourselves to just that step-by-step of uh, taking little bits of, of action to get there. That's just kind of how it works. Uh, okay, so you mentioned a couple of times the book is On Purpose with Purpose. I know that our friends can get that at Amazon. There's links at halfwaytherepodcast.com. In the show notes, as always, friends, why did you write Why did you write this book? Well, it was really fun. You know, I get to coach some amazing folks, Eric, and I walked into a... Um, a coaching appointment with one of my great friends and clients, Roy. And he said, okay, today, John, today's all about you. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, he goes, dude, like we've made all this progress. Like things are just popping in my life. And you're walking me through a process that I don't think you're aware of. And so we actually, we spent two hours on the whiteboard walking through everything that I, I kind of did during my whole recovery and my growth spiritually, mentally, emotionally, um, physically, and what I was doing with him. And out of this is we're looking up there on the whiteboard of everything that was up there. He, my Roy looks at me and goes, John, you have to write a book. This has to be a book. <laughs> and I said like, dude, I don't know how to write a book. I can barely see. He's like, he goes, well, there's a will, there's a way, man. This has to be a book. And that started the process. That was uh, three and a half years ago. And the book came out this spring. So yes, we're, we're and you know what? I got to tell you, like, 
this is a book that I believe that God gave me to, to write and put out there because it's about everything I did on my journey. The book is written in a way because I do a lot of coaching that if you can't hire a coach or it's just not right, it, it walks you through with exercises and lots of stories, how to make progress and a lot of the things we've talked about and even more, Eric. Mm, I love it. Okay, well, great. And then people can find you, your website I have right here, beyondinfluence.com, right? Correct. Yep. Excellent. They can connect with you if they want to find it, uh, to find you and hear more. John, I am fascinated by your story. Thanks so much uh, for sharing all of that. And uh, it is amazing how what God will use to kind of tell us who we are if we just uh, pursue pursue it a little bit. Um, John, is there anything you want to leave us with? You know, in everything that we go through in life, um, I would just tell people is, you know what? Get to know and love that better or best version of yourself. God, it's not a secret. God is right there and he wants you to become the person he created you to be. And just focus every day on little small steps and give yourself the grace and the room, <laughs> you know, to, you know, sometimes two steps forward, three steps back, but then you know what? You learn from that. But just keep moving forward and do it in community. Find folks like Eric. Find people that you can really trust, people that you can be real with. And if you have that in your life and you're focused on, you know, that next week, next month, next year might be a little bit better, you know what? I think you're on the right track. I love it. That is perfect. Thanks so much for being here, John. Thank you for having me, Eric. It, it, I love what you're doing. Thank you for the work you're doing in the world, just the stories you're sharing on the podcast and what you're doing, man. It is so needed right now because I really believe right now, and I've felt this way since my accident, my accident, Eric, is that God is moving big time. And even though you might not see it in the news right now, did it ever occur to anybody that nothing occurs to God? And everything happening in this world right now, he's got some huge plans. I believe right now there's an awakening happening in the body of Christ worldwide. And there's some exciting things that are coming to the head that are all part of God's hand right now. And so honestly, this for me, this is an ex, uh, a flat out exciting time to be alive. Amen. I think this is part of what Jesus meant when he said uh, to watch, right? Watch and wait and see what God's up to. I love it. Thanks a lot. Yes, my pleasure. See you, buddy.